Well, thank you everyone for being on the session today. Today's webinar is, uh, is a bit of a treat for me because we're going to be hearing some stories and who doesn't love a good story? And this is a particularly relevant story because pretty much everyone in this room today has been in a position where um, they've been asked to make a change or be the initiator of change. And it can be really difficult to come to terms with how these kind of changes and decisions will affect you and your team, especially if you haven't been through that exa uh, the exact same experience before. And most of us, you know, don't really have the opportunity to go through these big changes frequently. So today I want you to hear a story of change um, pretty much straight from the horse's mouth. In this session, we're gonna talk about a real life journey with one of our customers. Um, you're gonna hear about a corporate controller who led a finance um, close and reconciliation process that was probably, there's nothing quite wrong with it. It was probably very similar to what many of us are doing today if you are part of an accounting group, but she saw a problem, she wanted to deal with it, she envisioned a solution, searched the market, found one, adopted one, um, and as probably you can imagine, um, the journey was anything but straightforward. <laughs> and, and I think with everything that disrupts our you know, normal pattern of thinking and operating, that journey is rarely fast and it rarely happens in a straight, clean line. And most of the time it's you know, longer and harder than anyone would like it to be. So I wanted to hear from Deb Kerbin. Um, she's a corporate controller for Aquarium Water Company. Uh, she went through this journey not that long ago. Uh, she's eager to share her insights and her experience so that, you know, if you do find yourself in the same boat or kind of thinking about kicking the tires a bit in this area, you have some food for thought. Um, let's talk a little bit about Aquarion. So Aquarion Water Company is now a subsidiary of Eversource. It's a public water supply company for almost 230,000 customers um, across Connecticut, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts. Um, and this company is actually over 150 years old. This actually might be, uh, I was just talking to Deb yesterday, this might be our oldest customer. We do a lot of work with banks and they tend to be quite old, but 150, that's, uh, that's really something. Um, the development that led to the formation of what eventually became Aquarion can actually be traced back to 1818 when the Reverend Elijah Waterman built Bridgeport, Connecticut's first water delivery system. That's a bit of an overstatement. It was pretty much a hollowed out log pipeline that carried water from his property um, to a trough on the community's waterfront. But it did provide fresh running water to sailors and merchants. Uh, the company wasn't officially formed until 1857 under the name of Bridgeport Hydraulic Company. And it actually lived through the Civil War. And at one point, uh, the legendary circus promoter P.T. Barnum was once the president of the company. Uh, and I, that was a double take for me because I never associated circus promoter and, uh, you know, running a water company. In 2017, Aquarion was acquired for $1.7 billion by Eversource, uh, which at the time was a rare instance of a U.S. water company 
joining forces with an electric utility. Um, so Deb, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself as well uh, because we all wanna hear from you. Now, you've been uh, the controller at Aquarium for I think the past 10 years, and I think your background and career progression is actually very interesting. So please just share with us a little bit about um, your personal story and your professional story, maybe starting from uh, what you've studied in, in school if you can. Okay, sure. Um, hi, good afternoon. Uh, thank you for joining. Um, so right now, uh, well, actually, starting with my uh, degrees, I started in data processing, which is kind of funny. It's uh, computer programming. So I have an associate's degree in data processing, and then it was heavily um, into the finance side. And so I took that finance, and I rolled that into a bachelor's in managerial accounting, and then I went for my master's in finance. Uh, I am a CPA in Connecticut, um, and for those CPAs on the phone, we all know what CPA stands for, constant pain in the yes. Um, so, and I am also uh, a co-chair of the New England chapter, chapter of the National Association of Water Companies here in the New England area, and that includes all of the New England states. Um, so, uh, I am the controller. I have been here since 2008, um, and my area includes all aspects of the accounting um, responsibilities, including audited financial statements, annual budgets, uh, fixed assets, payroll, business analysis, accounts payable, and then um, all of the reporting, month-end reporting, quarter-end reporting, bondholders, and regulatory reporting. Um, prior to Aquarian, I held various accounting responsibilities with Deloitte & Touche, um, Southern New England Telephone, which ultimately joined with um, uh, AT&T, and then Warnico Group, Inc. Um, they were the ones that held the licenses for Calvin Klein jeans, uh, Calvin Klein underwear, Chaps jeans, and Speedo um, swimsuits. So that's where I came from. That's my background. Terrific. We actually um, work with um, a company, I think they're out of Ohio, that manages, a, I think, a Calvin Klein performance brand and, and a couple other brands. Um, so, so, Deb, if you think about your tenure at Aquarium on the past 10, 11 years, what were some of the challenges? Well, maybe the, I'm sure it was challenged um, very frequently, but what were some of your largest challenges that you faced? Um, whether it's when you first came on or just through, you know, the many years of working there? Um, and, and what were some of your own personal goals sort of coming into the position and growing your department? Sure. Um, well, regulated entities are, are notoriously known as dinosaurs when it comes to, you know, technology and moving ahead, moving fast. Um, so, you know, wanted to try and take that and turn that around. Um, you know, with the accounting department that I have here, we're, we're really lean, so we don't have a lot of um, different people that can do the different things. And from what I discussed, uh, we're responsible for basically everything in accounting. So I don't have, there's there's not a different budget department and, you know, month and close department and 10Q, 10K, audited financial statements department. So we do everything. So it's pretty interesting, but it's also, we're trying to do three different things at the same time. So it's really just the amount of time that people have. So we needed to become more effective and more efficient. So. 
And then uh, when I first got here, uh, Aquarian had just implemented uh, SAP. Uh, they set it up in 2007. And so it was a real challenge to try and dig into SAP, see what we could get out of it, and um, do some analytics um, better than, you know, what we had been do doing before. Yeah. And prior to SAP, I'm curious, uh, what platform were you on for your general ledger? They actually had their own. Um, it was a prophecy. It was called Prophecy, so it was kind of a homegrown um, uh, package. I once worked at a. I've been a part of a really lean team, and I think many of us in the audience are probably part of a lean-ish team where you know you wear a couple hats and you're just kind of expected to be able to pivot and you know get involved in other things. Um, I've also been part of um, a not lean team. Uh, I want. I guess it would be fat. I'm not sure. Um, but where um, for actually several months, my sole job was to create a dashboard <laughs> over and over and over again, um, multiple times a day. So I've uh, definitely lived through the spectrum. The thing about lean or leanish teams is, and, and lean doesn't necessarily mean small. You could have a very sizable headcount, um, like, you know, in your case, Deb, but still run very, very lean in the sense that the amount of ground that you have to cover as a team outstrips um, perhaps the industry average. And the fantastic part about being a part of that leaner team is that we all have to wear a lot of hats. So we tend to have high quality individuals making up that team. And usually, you know, cross training is done very well, um, just from necessity, and each team member tends to be um, pretty efficient. The, the drawback, right, is that because you don't have a lot of fat to trim on the team, and, you know, the team sometimes cannot do what is absolutely necessary. There may not be a lot of bandwidth to, for example, do analysis or take on some process improvement type of work, right? The viewers are just moving so quickly and you finish one thing and you already dive into something else and there's just not a lot of wiggle room. Um, in particular, new projects, either thinking about new projects or taking on new projects can be a huge strain for the team. If the team decides to undertake a project, sometimes they are forced to, um, you know, like bring in consultants um, who, you know, because they're ultimately outsiders, may not properly understand the subtle piece of your internal process. It's going to add time, add money, take up your team's time. Um, and that is something that lean-ish teams sometimes just cannot really sacrifice, uh, even if that meant future improvement, right? It's just they don't have time to breathe to think about doing something uh, doing something new. Deb, tell us about what your manual reconciliation process looks like. I recall that Aquarian's process was fairly traditional. Um, I know that it was working, but maybe describe um, the, the specifics to us as, you know, how exactly did it work? What tools did you use? You know, when the timing of when things happen, because um, I'm sure this is uh, going to be a point of curiosity for a large portion of our audience today. Sure. Um, I think we're exactly what you said, a very traditional where we had um, Excel spreadsheets set up for all of the accounts that we had on the balance sheet. And so what would happen is uh, each of the accountants would do their reconciliations in Excel. They'd print them out, um, print out the SAP uh, balance sheet trial balance, and then hand them to me. 
And so then I would go through um, a stack <laughs> of Excel files um, printed out and um, I would have to, you know, ask questions if I had any um, and then sign off and send them back to each of the accountants. Um, we had large binders of these recs that we had to keep um, completed and on hand so we could show our auditors um, that, you know, yes, we were doing reconciliations just in case they asked for it. Um, it was very clunky cl and cumbersome, and I really didn't have control where I could tell where we stood at any point in time in the month. So that was my, my biggest concern is just that, you know, I didn't have control, so I didn't know if I was there or I wasn't there. And this is a, a very common thing that we hear, especially from managers and executives, is that control aspect of it, right? Because just because the process is, is manual, it doesn't mean that it is not working. Um, almost all of our customers, for example, are running very mature accounting teams like that, where people know for the most part what they're doing um, and the work is getting done. It's just that these manual processes, they do come at, at a cost, right? They, require a disproportionate amount of effort compared to the return that you get. Because the ultimate result um, of doing a reconciliation process is not so we have a stack of paper that says we're done. It's not so we have these signatures so that we can show to our auditors that it's done. That is actually not the reason. <laughs> um, the reason is to actually validate right, the accuracy of the balances and to the extent that there are exceptions, we need to resolve them. We need to track them, we need to monitor them. We need to be able to provide with our executives the statuses you know, were there issues, um, preferably on a near real-time basis, or at least on a frequent basis. And with a manual process, if you want to be doing that, that is a big ask for your staff, right? It's going to dominate your people's resources. It's expensive to maintain, especially once you factor into the risk of having an adverse event um, and the hidden cost of, you know, everyone trying to collate and put together things. And, and I've heard variations of this process. Um, you know, even if um, a team is not, you know, printing it out, a lot of times they're saving spreadsheets onto their shared drive or they're PDFing stuff. And then you're dealing with there's version control. There's, you know, my stuff is in a different place as a support or you're navigating through um, folders and hopefully it's saved in the right folder. <laughs> um, and those all create sort of opportunities to to add burden uh, to the process. And and I want to share this next thing with you. Um, these are just common points in terms of what folks have told us a manual process creates. So you've heard probably most of these themes already. You know, first of all, just a ton, a ton of paper. Um, of course, you're going to be doing these spreadsheets, reconciliations. You're probably, if you're being diligent, you're probably covering 100% of the balance sheet, which tend to result in just a lot of reconciliations to finish. Um, some of them you don't necessarily need to do, and we'll talk about that later. Um, all of your internal controls, right, because it is a manual process, is going to be manually executed. So hopefully you are doing them, but to the extent that they're being done, right, it's going to take more time, more effort. You're managing SOD, for example, segregation of duties, you know, with your eyeballs. That is really not something we want to get into. Um, what Deb was saying, no actionable insight and into the status, right, no real-time status, no transparency. So even though the work is for the most part is being done, it's just at you know, the back of your mind, that nagging insecurity is like, well, is it really getting done? You know, if I want to find out, I got to go dig into these reconciliations. And for someone of a manager or an executive stature, that's not where you want to be, you know, doing most of your work. That's not where you belong. 
in terms of the level of work. Um, this is something that I, um, came out quite recently. This talks about what finance leaders, sort of at a very, very high level, what finance leaders are concerned about in 2019. I want to briefly share this research with you. This is a research product conducted uh, jointly by Protivity, which is a risk consulting company. I used to work for them, and North Carolina State University's Enterprise Risk Management Initiative. Uh, I believe this is an annual report. Uh, they survey about 800 C-suite executives and board members globally, although I think mostly North America, and ask them what their top risks are most likely to affect the organizations over the next 12 months. So this is a 2019 report. Um, so for example, in terms of the top 10 risks, uh, you know, risk number three, right? Regulatory changes and scrutiny may um, heighten and noticeably affecting the manner in which our products or services will be produced or delivered, right? This is the risk of regulatory changes adversely affect the way they run their business. That's number three. Um, risk number two this year is actually around uh, talent and HR. Risk number two, our organization's succession challenges and ability to attract and retain top talent in a tightening talent market may limit our ability to achieve operational targets. This is a risk around keeping good talent, hiring them, and ensuring that our leadership funnel is full. But what I wanted to focus on is risk number one. This is the number one risk that companies and executives are most concerned about in 2019. I'm going to read this to you. Number one risk, our company's existing operations and legacy IT infrastructure may not be able to meet performance expectations relating to quality, time to market, cost and innovation, as well as our competitors especially new competitors that are, quote, born digital with a low cost base for their operations or against established competitors with superior operations. This is a risk of falling behind and operating at a competitive disadvantage when it becomes more expensive and inefficient for us than it is for our competitors because we have not kept up with technological and operational advances. When we do things manually or on paper, when others have gone electronic, right? When it takes us more time to gather management information because we have to do it by hand. These are all great examples of that. And we, when we cannot make timely or quick decisions because we just don't have that real-time data at our fingertips and our peers and our competitors do. So that is what this risk is talking about, which is the number one risk um, this, this year for executives. So let's say we have a manual process, especially when it comes to finance and accounting. Um, these are actually what most people try to do initially to contain that chaos. Um, they try to you know, use some incremental improvements, right? Look internally and see what do we have in terms of tools that we can use, um, leverages that we can pull to help improve our manual process. Number one is to hire people to spread the work. Simple enough, get more heads. Um, not every team has the budget to do so. It is a very expensive option, probably the most expensive option. For those that do have the budget, the lucky ones, the job market has been exceedingly good, and anyone who is sourcing for talent right now can probably attest to that. It is hard to get top talent. And in fact, within the top risk that we just went through, risk number two is talking exactly around that. So hiring people, 
is sometimes an option of the app budget, but a difficult option. Second is we try to get our IT support. Right? We sometimes try to get IT in the form of, can we make a custom report? Can you build something for us? Right? Unfortunately, as finance and accountant professionals, we don't always get the attention that we deserve from our overworked IT team. So a lot of IT initiatives can be slow to materialize for the accounting folks. A third and perhaps a more realistic option is to take matters into our own hands, right? Oh, we got Excel at disposal. Let's build a giant Excel map to try to figure this out, right? Or maybe we have a SharePoint. Let's just, you know, maybe play around with that and try to jigger something on our own. It is a popular option and it does work to a certain degree, but spreadsheets can get out of hand very quickly. And as we know, they lack even the very basic controls and transparency measures that we might need, especially when it comes to like a reconciling or a closed process. And lastly, a viable option is just to do nothing and just, you know, brute force and power through it. Accepting our reality and kind of just suck it up. Um, it's an admirable attitude, but probably not very healthy. So, Deb, um, how did you approach these challenges around the month and close? So you had a manual process you were not 100% happy with, um, and I, I don't think you were of the mindset of wanting to adopt some incremental changes, but I think you were asked to, right? Before you look into a solution, just try to jigger something up. So what did you try? We went with the um, Excel spreadsheet approach. So we listed out all of our um, account recs, who was doing the account recs, um, you know, did we have to do them on a monthly, quarterly, or just a yearly basis so we could keep track of everything. And it was one big, huge spreadsheet. Um, but the problem with that came up with, you know, who had the time to keep that up, that spreadsheet up to date. So it, it was good to a point, um, but again, like many uh, Excel spreadsheets, it was kind of, I don't even have time to fill that out. So it uh, kind of fell by the wayside and um, it wasn't a good tool, um, you know, once we used it for a little while. It was almost like the one, now there's one extra thing that needs to happen in addition to me doing my work. Like I got to do my work exactly. and then Step number two. <laughs> I've got to go into the Excel spreadsheet and fill that out. So yes, exactly. Right, mm -hmm. right. So, um, so I, I think that prompted you to to want to go find a final solution, which led you to us. Um, and when our team first connected with you back in 2015, you specifically wanted a couple things out of automation. So one, you wanted to see the quality of the reconciliation work improve. You wanted to standardize the way the recs are done, um, which you know ties to quality. Uh, you wanted to see higher levels of efficiency when it comes to this process, and you also wanted to be able to monitor and manage balance sheet risk. And those are all very, very specific. So um, I was curious as to whether did you brainstorm with your team and say, well, these are the things that we want out of an automation solution, or was it more like, you know, this is based on what I've seen, me as a leader, these are the things that I think we need to accomplish, or did it come from your auditors, or maybe from your executive, like, where do those objectives come from? It was probably mostly from me, but um, yes, a little push from the executives as far as, you know, well, where are we with the um, account recs? And I couldn't give an answer. Um, so that was a push from uh, above. Um, but the, the standardization, that was just really me making my, my life easier because, you know, if you have 
the same type of a reconciliation on the three different companies and they're all set up differently, then I have to tie my head around, okay, how is this one done and how is that one done? And so if it was set up in the same exact way, then it was much easier for me to review. So um, that was kind of selfish on my part, but, um, you know, it's all about me, right? So, um <laughs> But uh, also the, the balance sheet risk is, is really big. I mean, if your balance sheet, if you can state that you are, you know, happy with your balance sheet and you're fine with your the balances that are there, then other things just kind of flow. If you realize that there's something wrong in your balance sheet, then you know that there's something wrong in your income statement as well. So, you, you know, it kind of just ties in together. So um, if I could get more comfort comfort around my balance sheet, then that's where I would uh, get comfort around, more comfort around my income statement and cash flow statement as well. That's how I was taught as well. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the Arthur Anderson way. If your balance sheet is correct, then your P&L is going to be correct. Mm -hmm. um, right. And, and it's when we forego some of these activities when it comes to the balance sheet, right, is when we now have to put so much more focus on the P&L um, to make sure that it is, in fact, correct. So, so we got together for a demo, um, I believe, November 2015. And I remember my team <laughs> telling me that the demo didn't happen because the firewall at Aquarian was so strict that we couldn't even get to the, the web conference application to work. Um, That's right. So I think you're, yeah, there, you had to go through some security protocols. There were some steps, that IT clearance, and then we we got together for the demo a few weeks after that. Which, which thinking back, that little incident definitely was, you know, foreshadowing of what's to come. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So later that month, um, a few um, members of your team finally saw the demo. And uh, what was the initial, I know not the whole team saw it, but a few members, what was the initial feedback? Was it more, what is this? Or more, oh my gosh, we have to have it. Or more, I don't, you know, I don't know if this is going to work for us. Like what, what, where did that reaction spectrum run for that initial reaction? Right. So one of the um, people that I had in the demo, um, she had used uh, a similar product uh, at a previous job that she had. Um, and she said that, you know, just, the using that product made her life so much easier uh with reconciliations and she was saying that you know if we can get this in here it would make all of our lives much easier the other person people that i had in the um demo uh you know they were like wow that thing that looks really cool you know we could stop doing this and we can stop doing that and you know we can set it all up in here so um excitement um but uh, not really, uh, they were a little concerned as far as, okay, what do we have to do in order to get it there? So, you know, it was it was good and bad. Um, but the one that, you know, she had used uh, uh, a different product, but at a different job. And she said, no, this is a great tool. So there I had somebody in my corner to help me on that one. Mm -hmm. And were they um, sort of manager and supervisor levels? Were they staff level? Um they... Uh, the ones that I had in the demo at that point were manager levels. Okay. So we did the demo, and then come end of 2015, you informed us that, unfortunately, it was not going to be a project that a Korean wanted to take on. Um, right. I think the reason was because there was not enough support from the very top, right? Right. That and IT didn't have time. Um, at that point, because we were kind of late in the game on 2015. Um, and so they had other projects that they were trying to get done by the end of the year. So we were kind of pushed off. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Right. I think that was more of a, a customer facing project. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, which is not uncommon uh, for accounting. Front office typically tends to take more of a priority. So, so mm-hmm. then uh, what was very amazing, at least to me, is that this project was then brought up again and then shot down again in 2016. <laughs> so a year later. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and you demonstrated a lot of persistence. And I'm curious, what made you want to keep bringing this project up? Um, I needed something. I, I had to have something else to get the job done because it was just getting absolutely ridiculous. Um, the number of, of reconciliations that we do um, and just how we had to do them. And it, it's a, it was a lot of work and we were taking on, we were doing a bunch of acquisitions as well, smaller acquisitions, but still, um, you know, with those acquisitions, we had to take on that additional responsibility. So um, it was just getting too much for my group to do. Um, so, you know, I had to keep pushing, um, you know, I, I pushed with my, uh, supervisor, my boss, the CFO, because he kept saying, you know, you don't have good control over this. And I said, okay, give me the tool for me to do it. And he's like, well, why can't you just do it with the Excel spreadsheet that you have? And so, you know, it was just trying to get people onto the bandwagon, um, to help me push it along. So it was difficult, but I saw the benefit of it and I, I really wanted to get something in to, to help out the department. And we're talking about um, on an annual basis, close to a thousand account recs and on a monthly basis, um, a few hundred, right? Yeah, I think there's uh, 650 on a monthly that we have to do, 800 on a quarterly basis, and then close to a thousand uh, at year end. Yes. Yeah, which is really a lot because, you know, we work with you know, for example, smaller companies that are dealing with two, 300 accounts, and they're already kind of like, whoa, this is the limit. Um, so for you, having <laughs> close to 10 people um, handling that much more, it is a bit crazy. Uh, well, actually, it's so, only so, the three or, well, there's four, five, five, five people that handle the recs. Uh, AP doesn't, the, the AP clerks don't handle um, any recs, so it's actually less. So it's just 200 accounts per person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Around middle of 2017, um, you got some traction. It seemed yes. like there was a window of opportunity, and he brought us back in for another demo with a larger group. Um, what changed then? Uh, was there anything specific that was different? Um, well, I think I just wore them down, but, uh, I got the support from procurement. Um, and I really, one of the things was, uh, the cloud-based, uh, IT hesitated, um, because of the cloud-based pool. Um, everybody was afraid of cloud, the cloud, 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 you know, we don't have control. We don't have control, but, um, we were able to, you know, show them it's no risk to us. Us, we're just taking a file and sending it to the cloud, and that's it. Um, and so they got more comfort around that, and so they were like, okay, fine, you know, and they had no pushback. Um, and then I just needed to get uh, my CFO uh, to approve, and I finally got that. So, you know, that's where we came up. Yeah. And we'll talk about IT in just a couple of minutes, um, because I think they demonstrated support, but that was not the end of their involvement. Um, right. And your people, because um, this is what I think going back to, I think, John's question, was everyone mm-hmm. on board initially? 
Was everyone like, yeah, you go get this done? I didn't have everybody in the demo. Um, and those that I had in the demo, um, some of them didn't totally grasp the what the tool would do. So um, they were interested. Uh, were all of them on board and, you know, hyper and ready to go? No. Uh, but I think I had enough support in the uh, department that, you know, we we were ready to go. Yeah. You know, sometimes, and that is sometimes, a really common. Yeah. Go ahead. Sometimes you have to drag some people with you. <laughs> it, that's very, very common. Um, most of the times, this is exactly what happens. You got, you know, a couple who are like, I see the vision. You know, can we start? And then, you know, a, a couple that are on the opposite and like, I, I don't know. I don't want to for whatever reason. And then mm -hmm. you have the middle, which really can go either way, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yes. And they're you know more easygoing, don't have much of a strong opinion. Um, so at this juncture, I think it's appropriate to touch upon leadership styles um, because leadership, your leadership style, um, are effective. Different kinds of styles are effective in different kinds of environment, and depending on what the situation is, managers need to be really mindful of which style to employ. And we all have one where we're most comfortable. Um, and one that we see a lot today is the concept of a participative leader. The participative leader likes to seek input from others, right? They turn to the team for input, ideas, observations, instead of making the judgment call all on their own. Um, that's not to say that a leader doesn't have the ultimate decision-making task. They often do, but they just want to make sure that they're working closely with team members, focusing on building relationships and, you know, rapport. Um, and we can all see why this style works really well in most cases because it allows the team to give input, share ideas, you know, everyone then has buy-in, which makes us more inclined to get involved. Um, and we all feel good about ourselves and we really feel empowered. Uh, but where the wheel can fall off is in a situation where you do have to just make a call. Right, participative leadership doesn't work well in situations where the team members um, don't have access to the end goals, or maybe they don't have that vision of what you see, um, and or they lack the skills needed to create solutions to specific problems. So this is not a competency call, it's really so they don't have the skills needed at their job level. And that's a really important distinction. Um, because most of the time, participative leadership is an effective way to adopt, we all work better when we feel empowered. But when it comes to some of these bigger changes and strategic decisions, you as a member of management must understand that not everyone's gonna be on the same page and not everyone should be on the same page, right? You hire a competent team to do the day-to-day -day work in accounting and finance. That is their job. It is typically not their job to see and plan for the future because that is your job as the executive. So. And because we're so used to the more, you know, participatory leadership style, we sometimes can feel pressure to want to get like 100% buy-in from everyone before we make any kind of decision. And that is going to occur very, very rarely in situations like this where you need a fundamental shift, right? A leap, a big decision. Um, you're probably never going to get that kind of buy-in. And this is where you do have to make that call and maybe switch to a more directive style, meaning, you know, I have a vision, you are all coming along with me, and you will thank me for it later. <laughs> um, but 
of course, um, it is unreasonable for us to expect to be able to just, you know, lone wolf any project. That's not realistic, right? Especially when we work with a sizable company. We all have business partners that we need to collaborate with. So we may be able to get our team on board, whether it's inviting them or maybe pushing them a little. Um, there's still the matter of our business partners. So procurement, IT, legal, um, and we have to navigate that. Um, and I recall that, that it seems like after I think the second or the third demo, it was like overnight occurring on sort of IT and procurement, the Calvary just descended upon us. Um, you know, first it was nothing and the next day it was everyone asking questions. It was a very intense experience. Um, but I think it's almost a, it's also a matter of a sort of a perfect storm environment where I think your procurement process was changing at the time. You mentioned that there is a hesitancy from IT also to get on cloud. So maybe talk to us about, you know, what that backstory was and what that experience was like. Sure. Yeah, it's um, everybody here at Aquarion, everybody um, needs to buy in and agree um, because with the limited resources that we have, all the departments, I mean, IT, procurement, um, you know, procurement had to look through the contract and go through and make sure that the language was there. Um, you know, as you said, we were changing our procurement. We were going from a um, uh, uh I forget the word now, but we were, you know, outside the departments had control. We were going to a centrally led um, procurement department. So the procurement director um, was trying to make sure that uh, the contract was uh, with the language that we needed. Um, IT, they're very protective. We, Because we have so much with the customers and we're regulated, um, we can't afford to have anything happen with our, um, you know, somebody breaking in and getting into our um, computer stuff. So, um, you know, that kind of held us back. But uh, once we, we all sat down and went through uh, what, is going to happen. What needs to happen? Um, we were we all got comfortable with it, and so then when I, once I had procurement and IT okay with it, um, it was an easier sell to my CFO. And so that's where you know once we decide okay go, then it's like run. <laughs> it's not a slow walk. It's a run. All right, get it done now. Um, so you know that's where we we came in, and that's how it happened. Yeah. And I recall that there, from the procurement slash legal side, there really there were a ton of questions, um, and now we understand why that was. Um, and on the IT side, it was um, the same thing at the time. We were kind of surprised by, you know, because we we work with regulated industries, we work with banks, hospitals, public companies, sort of thing. So mm -hmm. we're used to some extent of that. But um, what I don't think we realized at the time was that Aquarion, up until that time, has never used. A hosted product or a cloud system so that was right you know art was kind of like the first step out into that world um, so now that makes sense and I think now between then and now um, I want to say you're now on more than 10 or 15 platforms now that are in the cloud I think it's closer to 10 yeah mm -hmm. closer to 10 okay yep. okay so yep. so that's that's great so you know I think that means you had a good experience and IT's like let's do it again <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, I remember you, you mentioned that IT, once we got all comfortable with IT, um, we, you know, we did the project with your accounting team. And then after the project went live and you guys are using the system, IT actually came back and asked when you want to start the project, right? 
Right. So, yes, that's what happened. Um, you know, IT, we got them on board and they said, okay, yes, you can do this. You know, we're, we're comfortable that it's not going to um, cause any problems with our security and stuff like that. Okay, um, go ahead. And and so we went through and actually did the whole implementation and the contact that I know in IT, um, actually, I was talking to her one day and she said, oh, by the way, when are you going to do um, that account reconciliation software? And I said, it's already done. So she was very surprised, but it went that smoothly that I never had to get my IT department involved in the setup or anything like that. So, you know, it was it was good for me uh, and it was good for my IT department. Yeah, and that's very typical of the teams that we work with. Um, a lot of times if they need to get IT involved, it's usually not a project that it's going to happen anytime soon. So. Part of how, um, I do want to talk about implementation, and part of how we deliver the service yep. is we really try as much as possible not to involve your IT, and you know we become sort of your IT team in this project to help get it done. Um, that right. just, you know, just help make this project a lot easier for everyone. Let's talk quickly about implementation. Um, this is our traditional implementation roadmap. It's a five-step process. We kick off the call, we send a template home with our customers, we receive their data and we get busy, set up the site, show our customers the site, make final tweaks, training, we go live. This typically happens for us about 20 hours of time uh, of consulting slash implementation time and takes about three to four weeks in terms of elapsed time for our customer. I think what would be interesting, Deb, um, for you to weigh in on is talk to the audience about the, you know, just because it's a quick implementation doesn't mean there's no work involved. So talk to the audience about where, um, what kind of work you guys did to get this site up. Sure. Um, well, uh, as I said before, we had that uh, gigantic Excel spreadsheet um, that we had started to say, you know, what are all of the uh, account reconciliations that we have to do? Who's responsible for it? Do we have to do it quarterly, monthly, or yearly, just annually? And that actually helped us uh, a lot um, because um, in here, the second one, customer complete setup template. So we were able to um, take our Excel file and put a lot of that same data into the template. And, you know, a companies probably have this set up um, anyway, uh, just to keep track. Um, so that was very helpful. And um, it actually helped us look at it more and determine, okay, should Beth have that Excel spreadsheet or that reconciliation, or should that go with Amy instead and where she can do it together with this other reconciliation and that way we can do five in one and get it done much faster, more efficient. Um, so that helped us uh, tremendously. So um, working with that file and Jennifer uh, from SkyStem, um, she used that template. And so uh, it was very familiar to us and it was familiar to her. And so we were talking the same language. So I think getting that base information accurate um, was a good first step. And so that's what we started with there. Um, and then just going through and running with it the first month, you know, it got a little, we had to get used to it, but uh, it, once you get used to how to use the tool, um, you know, it goes much faster, much easier. Um, so we took a couple of months, I mean, exactly this, I think it was three to four weeks to get the um, software actually up and installed and running the way that we wanted it to. And then, uh, you know, using it a couple of months in, you know, we didn't complete it for the first 
I'm going to say two months because um, we didn't uh, we weren't familiar. So, you know, we didn't close all of our accounts, but uh, we got to the third month and we closed all of our accounts. And so we got that and built from that to say, OK, now we know how to use the tool. Um, we're learning stuff better. Um, we're getting faster at it. And so we completed all of the um, account reconciliations. And with that, I could tell, you know, where where do we stand? Who's um, not done? Who do I have to go talk to? And, you know, how do the reconciliations themselves look? Um, so it was it was a good experience. And it took a little while. Like I said, you know, we can't we, we couldn't run when we started, but uh, it was not a long time to get up and running the way that I wanted it to. Yeah, because most of the work is happening, you're right, on this pink box here where you're gathering information and, mm -hmm. you know, you have most of it, maybe not in the right format or you might be missing some holes, but I think through the process of gathering that information, um, you've probably done some cleanup as well. And, you mm -hmm. know, this is what we tell our customers too. It's like when you deliver that template to us with all of your accounts and the ownership and the risk rating and, you know, Etc. Um, that is 90% of the work that you're going to have to do. <laughs> so you're yes. almost done, right? Um, yes. All right. So we we got the system up, and the first couple cycles was more of like a trial cycle, making sure that you know we know where we're going, and and we know where to click, and support goes here, and this is what the forms look like. Um, yes. These are all the methods that we have available in terms of support. We're, we are really big on support. Our founder, I don't know if you noticed that, but our founder came from a hospitality background, like hotels and you know leisure. So that hands-on contact is really, really important to us. Um, I know that is also something that Aquarion values um, in terms of delivering service to their customers. Um, I am curious. Was there any particular channel that you guys really liked or used a lot um, compared to others? Like was it a phone, was it email, was it the Genius Academy courses, the job aids? Like what, uh, what worked best for your team? So yes, the the help desk, um, the phone. Jennifer, I gotta say your name again. Just gotta. We love Jennifer. So, um, <laughs> um, so. she's very good. <laughs> she's very patient, um, but she's very good. She'll answer the questions and, and get us, you know, what we need uh, very quickly. So, um, talking the customer support with that, uh, but also we use the Genius Academy. Um, what we did was, you know, when we first started, we didn't know what we didn't know, um, but we went in there and used the tool. Um, and got more familiar with it. And then uh, we would go to the Genius Academy um, classes and figure out if there was something that we weren't using to the best of its ability, So, uh, such as the forms. We went back in and said, you know what, we're not using the forms the way that we really should. Um, and so we changed that around, and now we're even more efficient than we were um, before. So uh, just continue looking at it and learning more stuff all the time. Um, and then we find things that we can optimize and um, make it better for us. Yeah, which is really awesome because there's always, you know, there's a, there's a lot of depth to the system and mm -hmm. you could choose to go deep, you could choose to not, which actually brings me to the next point here, um, which is in terms of the biggest benefits that you feel you got out of this. So different, you know, companies have, different focuses that they come to us for. Not everybody wants the same thing. Some people want to shave the clothes down to X many days. Some people want to, you know, cater to the auditors better. Some people just don't want to be on paper anymore, like they're doing a green project. Um, and I just threw up a couple of things that in terms of themes that um, we hear. 
Um, for your unique situation, though, Deb, in terms of, you know, what do you think were the top benefits that you feel you got out of the system um, when you guys, you know, eventually um, started going steady? Right. Um, I, for me personally, it was the control. I, I have the control. I have the insight uh, of where we stand. What's the status? Who's done, done what? Who still needs to do what? Um, I can um, say, you know, to my auditors, yes, our uh, reconciliation process is working on a monthly basis, and I have confidence that you know the numbers that I'm looking at are good. Um, you know, internal audit now being part of EverSource, they are SOX compliant. We Aquarian are not. Uh, SEC reporters, uh, but Eversource is, and so they have to be SOX compliant, and so, you know, we have to be uh, up to snuff with them, and this product actually really helps us on that, so, um, you know, I can show my auditors at any point in time, and I can go back to any month and pull um, the reconciliation. I don't have to try and go into one of my accountant's office and, and find the right binder and find the right month and find the right um, Excel spreadsheet you know, that was printed out. I can go into the system and I can find it um, in two minutes. So that, that works very, very well for us. For the audience here, um, you know, any parting thoughts? You know, now that you've been through this, would you do anything differently? If you know, someone you know is about to embark on this project, and what are some of the advice that you would give? Um, just really what I started with, change is hard, but change is really good. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, we wanted to have the better control and better vis visibility, um, and so we got that with the, this tool. Um, and now I can definitely say that we're compliant we're in compliance uh, if internal audit or external auditors ask me. Um, as far as what would I do differently, um, just to, we understand more, so I think that we would um, do the forms earlier, um, use the, the forms earlier, um, and that way we wouldn't have to wait for the, you know, three to six months before we got it done. Um, and then one of the other things is just the, the tasks, you know, for the month and close process itself. Right now, um, you know, we're still on the Excel spreadsheets. We want to learn that one uh, a little bit more. And so mm -hmm. if we can do it automatically, uh, all the better. Deb, thank you. Thank you for sharing this journey with us. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with what SkySTEM does, um, feel free to go to our website, www.skystem.com. Uh, you can see a demo there, request a private demo, sign up for stuff, you know, look at case studies. Uh, we're also part of a free CPE network on LinkedIn. If you want to join, you just go to LinkedIn and type in free CPE network. Um, and then throughout October and November, we are going to be in Boston, Nashville, Seattle, and Irving, Texas for a series of conferences. If you're going to be there, look out for the pink booth. That's going to be our booth. You cannot miss it. It's hot, hot pink. Um, and make sure to drop by to say hi to us.